Now you've done it. It's showtime! Hello and welcome back to listening to the Play Better Pinball Podcast. Be sure to like, follow, subscribe on all of our social media outlets. That includes YouTube, Facebook, and our awesome Twitch channel. I am one of your hosts, Chris Stevens, and I'm also here with my fellow friend, Evan Bookbinder. Most of you know me as Bookie. Yes, or I mean, you're also the weatherman, right? Uh, yeah, I'll take that as well. <laughs> but uh, we're here today, tonight, and we're going to be hanging out and talking about all kinds of things pinball related. We got things returning, we got things leaving, and ultimately just things that finally talk about. It's kind of cool. What do you what do you think about that book? I know the return. It's like that's the title of this episode because it's like we 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 forgot to do the podcast. It's been <laughs> <laughs> what like nine months or something since we last produced and now there's fortunately like a glut of material to talk about but you know you and i have been busy for the past couple months here trying to resume some sense of normalcy not so much pinball related between the two of us but heading the great outdoors right oh you know it we're going for bike rides we're gonna be doing some uh some yard work over at your place trying to get some some gardening stuff prepared it's it's gonna be fun and it's been fun especially the bike riding i mean i never thought that biking for 14 miles would hurt me as much as it has i mean a part of me blames my bike but i just blame the fact that i'm kind of out of shape you know i'm not in my pinball shape i'm not in my (laughs) my my top pinball form i guess i'm not standing up too much that makes two of us but i will say this like yesterday i went on a solo ride ride we lost power as you remember and i was like well i can't do work i can't do much of anything so i might as well go hit the trail now i don't know if all that forest fire smoke or whatever played into it but that was a struggle 14 miles so i will say when you and i go out together and we're having conversation and trying to plan for this podcast for example and you're not really focused on your legs killing you and everything else, it's a lot better. So I I definitely enjoy the company, and it's made a stressful last year and a half kind of flip back to some sense of normalcy here. So people, get out. That's all I can say. (laughs) Whatever you can. Exercise is so important. Yeah, it definitely felt and feels great just getting out. And I mean, doing it with a friend makes it that much better. And now it's even better because of all the things we get to talk about and plan for. And one of the big things to plan for is the return of Whoppers. Yeah, so my son just got a job at Burger King like a few (laughs) weeks back. And Big Macs, right? Oh, not those Whoppers. Not those Whoppers, Bookie. Today we're going to be hanging out and talking about the IFPA, the International Flipper Pinball Association. They have returned. They have opened up the floodgates. You can now submit tournaments for World Pinball Player Ranking Points, or Whoppers as we call them for short, and they will be resuming sanctioned events on August 1st of 2021. Now, unfortunately, some championship series have been canceled for this year. Those include the IFPA North American Championship Series, 
the IFPA Women's North American Series, the IFPA European Championship Series, as well as any other IFPA Country Championship Series. So while things are going to be going away, it is exciting to be able to see things coming. Because before, you would basically click on the tab on the IFPA website to look at their calendar. And on the calendar, it generally has all of the tournaments that are being held in the various days, basically around the world. And whenever they're resuming on August 1st, on that day alone, there are 31 tournaments that are going on worldwide. That's insane. And I mean, do, do you blame people? I mean, we've just been so eager to to get back to it. And, and I know places have, uh, which has been really cool, actually, for the past few months to have these tournaments that don't have the ranking point system attached to them. And I think it's allowed us to kind of ease back into it. They're a lot more friendly, shall I suggest? Like people don't have that tension and potentially rage built up that goes with the sanctioned tournaments and and just to have fun and get to see everybody again. Oh yeah. It's been a nice transition window. I've probably played in I want to say four, four or five tournaments since April of various scale. First and foremost was like, I just want to see people. That alone was was worth the price of admission. The pinball was like a nice secondary. Yeah, it kind of has me wondering if whenever people start attending these tournaments again, will there be more of a camaraderie as opposed to the desire to win, win, win? Like whenever I get back out there, I'm usually the type of player that focuses on playing and hangs out with people. But like I don't have any drinks on a tournament night, right? But I'm wondering if like if I do travel for a tournament, like maybe I'll be more inclined to go out afterwards after qualifying and have some drinks with people that I just met also in the tournament. I hope so. Yeah, it's it's going to be extremely exciting to like maybe flip that switch in my brain that's like focus, because if you don't get enough sleep, you're going to play terrible tomorrow, then you're going to be upset. But now I think my focus is going to be more on, hey, just enjoy the moment while you have it, right? Right. And I think another aspect of that. So first of all, I I definitely agree with you. I think the overwhelming vast majority of people are going to look at at least these first few tournaments that they ease back into as more of a social event than a uh, competition, if you will. There's always going to be those super hardcore players that you're not going to change their mindset even after a year and a half of, of nothing. But I, I think the social aspect is going to be more akin to like bowling league night or something. Yeah. Which will be awesome. Like, because I've really enjoyed that. Just the chill atmosphere, getting to hang out. Yeah, you want to win your game, but like, does it really matter for the five bucks or whatever we threw at the pot just to have something here for the first few tournaments we've run? It's just trying to get that edge off but i think along the same lines it's it's been a challenge for people right you know you've gone this long without playing in a competition level i'm actually eager to watch some of the first few tournament streams that are posted because i've watched a lot of twitch over the last year and a half there's been a ton of new streams oh yeah come online right and we've watched a lot of people play overall friendly basement pinball by themselves by and large maybe with someone in their little COVID pod finally starting to ease open. But I'm curious, though, when we start seeing the tournament streams, people's skills, have they maybe gotten better by being able to practice a lot on their own time? Have they gotten worse because they're rusty? 
the social aspect, all of these these things are going to be very interesting to watch. I know. I I am greatly looking forward to it. Is and like some of the other questions that I've been thinking of, like, will people be more inclined to plunging and playing out of turn? Like, you have someone that's been sitting there playing in their basement, playing alone to an audience, but now all of a sudden there's a player two, a player three, and a player four. How are they going to react? Ironic that you mentioned this. Because the tournament we had just a few days back here in Pittsburgh, casual tournament, like a heads up knockout type thing, two player games, five strike tournament. I've been playing competitively for about uh, a little over five years now. And for the first time ever, I forgot to punch in player two on my game. And of course, what do you do, right? You blow up ball one, super happy, and then you notice the score doesn't advance to the next player and you look up and you're like oh no i did not just do that way to go what happens when you do that the pinball gods laugh and of course the restart of the game because that's the correct thing to do is to restart the game with the correct number of players yep did not go so well for the weatherman so oh well i mean you live and you learn right these are the things that happen as a tournament player as a casual player turning towards a tournament mentality Things like that are all part of the experience. They're all part of the learning process. You're going to step up and you're going to have that happen to you at one point. And you're going to think to yourself like, wow, I can't believe I did that, but I'll never do that again. And it's all part of the learning experience. We've all done goofy things. It's it's not always like the new person in their first tournament. I mean, I've played in hundreds and pulled that off, but... That sort of thing, I think, is going to be fairly common, at least less rare than it used to be, especially in the first couple months, I think, where people start to get out and the brain has to recalibrate to the uh, two, three, four player game mentality. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be a little bit of a transitional period. But the good news is the first major tournament from the IFPA, which is going to be IFPA 17, that was originally scheduled for June of 2020 has been rescheduled for May of 2022. So between the time of the start of the return of Whoppers, which is August 1st of this year, 2021, up until May of 2022, the players that are going to be going to the national tournament are going to get some time to be able to maybe get back to their former playing self, right? They're going to get back to playing with other players and thinking of how to approach specific tournament games. So I think it's kind of nice and myself being one of them to be a tournament player that might be able to go to this tournament where you're going to have some time to kind of get back into your style. I also think a unique opportunity has presented itself here as well from the tournament director standpoint. And if you think back a year ago when we did that podcast about tournament directing and we talked at length about that aspect of tournaments and how to get new people into it. I think this is a great time to get new blood into tournament directing because honestly, we're kind of like all starting fresh, if you will. Yeah, that's definitely true. And that also brings up the fact that I really want us on the Play Better Pinball channel to come up with some videos that help explain how to start a pinball league with X amount of players, what to do whenever you want to be a tournament director. I think those are some really, really awesome things you could put together that could really help answer some of the commonly asked questions for someone that wants to get involved in something like that. For sure. Yeah, I think that's a great idea that that you and I will will tackle here in these coming months. 
Well, getting back to the topic of Whoppers, one of the things that's been really interesting to watch over the last year and a half, roughly, has been this especially recent jockeying of positions of of the rankings, which maybe some of our listeners don't understand the whole world ranking system or how it's calculated entirely. But to watch people kind of moving both up and down somewhat significantly over the past uh, year and a half, and especially over the last couple months, uh, as we near this reset, it's it's been really interesting. In fact, we have like a new world leader right now, all of which occurred while nobody was playing. And I was wondering uh, if you might be able to explain to our listeners how that was all possible. Why, yes, I will certainly do my best. So with the IFPA rankings, it basically takes your top 20 tournaments that were sanctioned events. After every year, your tournament value depreciates. So the reason why you're going to see some people kind of climb and drop basically no one's climbing naturally no one's earning points but there are people that are losing points so the people that were able to earn the majority of their points right before they stopped having the whoppers are going to be standing tall versus players that might have earned their bigger event values say three or four years ago Unfortunately, I am one of those players because my Pinberg finishes uh, have been uh, depreciating rather rapidly, unfortunately. So I think I've dropped. I used to be on the front page. I used to be in like the top 20 and now I'm down to like 39th. That's horrible. I wish I was only 39th. Uh, I'm actually curious where I am. I was like very happy with with myself anyways, uh, having to play against the uh, really tough Pittsburgh crowd. But I think I had worked up to about a little better than 150th. And I think I've I've healed off here. Guess what your rank is right now? I don't know. It's probably hemorrhaged all the way down to like 200 or something like that. You are currently 222nd. Ew. Oh. Ew. I've got to work on that. Well, you know what you can do to work on that? Play better. Play better, but you can also play in some of these fine tournaments that are going to be happening on August 1st. I've only picked out a couple that I'm going to name drop right here because these were the first four that I saw. That includes the Welcome Back Whoppers Tournament held in College Park, Maryland. That's a great name. You got the Knox Amusement Back to Pinball IFPA Tournament in Rochester, New York. And then there's also one that we're not allowed to talk about. This is the Fight Club based in Pittsburgh, PA. Exciting. Oh, yeah. But we have one that I'm going to choose to be in our fun segment that I'm going to call our Tournament Spotlight. Now, what I want to do is whenever we do this podcast, whether it's weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, hopefully not as far as monthly, but whenever we're doing this podcast, we can't do any worse than eight monthly. Yeah, that's true. What what I want us to be able to do is kind of have a spotlight of a tournament. Talk about what style of tournament it is. Is it pin golf? Is it ticket? Is it papa scoring? And then talk about the location where it is. Maybe discuss who's in it, who might have been in it, who won it last year. And basically give some people some excitement that this is coming up. Like, let's say you're going to be playing in that tournament and you hear us talk about it. Hopefully that brings us some excitement. So the first tournament in our official tournament spotlight is going to be the Basement Toledo's Geek Easy Pinball based in Toledo, Ohio. Wait, you just said Geek Easy. It's the Geek Easy. Like Speakeasy. Like Speakeasy. It is in the basement of a distillery. No way. <laughs> That's awesome. 
I, I thought it sounded really cool. So whenever I was looking it up, I try to get as much quick info as I could. Now, one thing I wish I would have been able to do had I been better at planning, because I'm terrible at that kind of thing. But I would have reached out to uh, the Facebook page for their website so you can kind of read up on some of their information and ask them, like, how many games do you have? How many levels is, are the games on? Is it, you know, handicap accessible? Just like simple little things just to kind of get a really full blown idea, right? Have a guest speaker. Oh, wait. <laughs> you never know. We're rusty listeners. Oh, so, so, so rusty. That's why that's going to take me forever to edit. So hopefully it's not too far off. But um, but a little backstory of the basement Toledo, the, the Geek Easy Pinball location. Like I said before, it is the same business, the same building of a distillery, but it's a completely separate business. So they, they're not owned and operated by the, the same manager or owner. Also, this place has a, a lot of games. They're both new and old. Like it's the same place where you can play the brand new Mandalorian by Stern, or you can play like some high speed. And there's probably some EMs there, but I haven't been able to get that information on it. Uh, they've got a lot of leagues available. They also have a women's division with the bells and chimes of the Toledo division. And recently, they've had some small scale pin golf tournaments. They've also had some launch parties. And the last launch party, which was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles launch party, was won by none other than Stephen Prusa. Yeah, Stephen has just been tearing up the Ohio scene the last, oh, I guess three months now since we, we started spinning things back up here, beginning with the uh, Pin Brew Fest there in eastern Ohio back in, uh, I guess it was April. He's just been crushing everything. He has been a pinball juggernaut. And uh, speaking of which, he's our guest. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but in fact, though, he uh, I think he won. So our own Alexander Kazmarchik, who congrats to Alexander, has whoppered himself into 10th in the world. Yay. Just by the random depreciation, as, as you mentioned before. He actually held a double elimination tournament. Was that last weekend, I guess, with uh, 24 participants. And I think Steven walked away with just this uh, badass trophy that his dad is. Those who know Al, uh, Alexander's dad is an unbelievable machine shop welder and handcrafted this just sick, ginormous trophy that was like uh, an homage to like the Sonic pinball machine. So folks who've been at Pinburg probably saw Al's work because I think he designed that massive trophy for like the Intergalactic Championship. Correct. But yeah, we're, we're actually going to talk a little bit about that because we did discuss it on our bike ride about Alexander's tournament. But uh, we'll see how it ties in with this tournament. So this tournament spotlight of the basement Toledo's Geek Easy Pinball Tournament. The main tournament will consist of a strikes tournament with not one, not two, but 10 strikes. That's a lot of strikes. It's going to be single round only. So there will be no losers bracket. Now they do have in the fine print that it will be a finals of varying formats if there are more than 16 players, which I think is smart because you're not sure how many people are going to show up, how many people will be able to make it. So I kind of feel like this is going to be something that they're going to be doing a lot uh, around the country where it's like, testing the water so to speak so i think that's a very very smart idea and uh, and that's basically the uh, the brainchild of the director here is david boucher okay i like that too it, when you have kind of like your main or qualifying part of a tournament a completely different format than the finals i definitely think it's interesting and uh, it, it makes it more interesting because it, it helps newer players kind of get acclimated with different styles like there's so many ways 
that you can have a qualifying or a finals or like a ticket. And I think it's kind of neat to be able to incorporate those into some laid back tournaments. And uh, ironically enough, like you just mentioned, Alexander's tournament had a very unique way of determining seating for qualifying. It sure did. Why don't you uh, let me know how that went? So they did their qualifying on stall ball which is a very interesting, super fun, even better if you're drinking format of pinball that's not usually used in a tournament. It's more of uh, for fun or for dollar games or, or what have you, where you pick a game that has a lot of opportunities to stall the pinball, uh, like a saucer or a scoop or somewhere that the ball temporarily for a few seconds is going to get trapped. And the person actively playing the machine once they put a ball in one of the agreed upon stall points runs to the back of the line and the next person has to walk up to the machine, not knowing where that ball is going to get kicked out from and basically play by the same rules. Their job is to put the ball into somewhere that it will stall. Um, and, and then this just continues until you drain and you're out. So as soon as you drain your ball, if you're the active player, you're done. So, that was basically the qualifying for this double elimination tournament was a game of stall ball. And maybe it did, maybe it didn't. In my mind, I think it may have altered the tournament, but what happened was to start the stall ball, all 24 people got in line. Well, the ordering of that line, if you think about it actually mattered. So there's 24 people in line and let's just say for random effect that half of them drain their ball instead of putting it in the stall point. The person at the back of the line is now qualified 12th before they even walk up to the machine. Oh, that sounds brutal. And I don't know how many people made it through each round of start 24. So many people get eliminated. You know, you continue on in this big conga line, if you will, uh, which can get pretty crazy until the last man standing. So I, I don't know how many people get eliminated each round, but since the line was formed somewhat arbitrarily, someone who kind of thought through this ahead of time and inserted themselves at the back of the line unintentionally or intentionally perhaps gained an advantage, at least where the worst possible qualifying point from the first round. So I thought that was interesting. I, I think it was a super fun way to do it. I think it's a method that should absolutely be used going forward because I love stall ball. I just think maybe it needs like, a random number generator or some sort of tweaking to that initial line. So there's no advantage, whether it's intentional or not, how people start off the game. But super cool idea. Great idea, Alec, to come up with that. I've never seen it done before. Yeah, neither have I. I whenever you explained it to me, I was very excited to hear it because any opportunity to play stall ball is a great opportunity and it's going to be a good time. So I kind of feel like that might have been a smart way to somewhat set the tone as to what this tournament is going to be like, even though as a winner, you get this really awesome kick-ass custom machine. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, that Al made. And actually, there was pretty decent amount of cash with that too, uh, looking at it. But yeah, I had, I had tuned in in the afternoon and pulled up the website that had the double elimination brackets. And I was chatting on Facebook with one of my friends who was playing in the tournament and had gotten knocked out fairly uh, early on. And I was like, well, I'm not understanding how the seating started. And he kind of walked me through this. And I was like, whoa, that's totally different. And I don't <laughs> think anybody knew that was going to happen 
going in. So there was definitely a level of surprise and excitement uh, added to the tournament. So kudos to them. I, I hear it went super smoothly. A new location. Basically, it was held at uh, Alexander's dad's machine shop where, I mean, they've got a massive pinball collection. So the quote unquote overflow, which itself is an amazing collection by any stretch of the imagination, um, was held at like a, a machine shop welding shop. <laughs> so uh, northwest of Pittsburgh. Hey, man, any place where you can have machines is a good place. And any and all machines are good things. And speaking of machines, there have been some new machines that have gotten released. Now, I myself haven't really had the opportunity to play them. Have you been able to play a couple of these new machines, Bookie? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, the tournament scene, one of the most important things is like knowing how to play the game and its rules, at least some basic concept, usually a lot more advanced than that. And so my first opportunity to go out on location was probably back in January, kind enough because I was still with two kids and the vaccines hadn't been rolled out still pretty conservative at that point but one of our locations that had opened allowed me to come after hours so i kind of had the the place to myself so to speak and so i started playing like first i started playing games that were released right before the pandemic but it had massive code changes during the pandemic so like stranger things to me for example was like a complete new game and an amazingly awesome game that has evolved uh, much in the same way I think Deadpool and a few others did, where the code just fantastically evolved over the last year to where it's very underrated. Maybe it's not underrated because I want a premium and I can't find one. So those listeners, if you know of one, <laughs> get in contact with me. But uh, man, we had a ton of games come out over the last year, which we can talk about. Was that a good move or not a good move to keep releasing games that Outside of the home collector, the vast majority of us couldn't get our hands on with all the locations, either out of business for good or closed for the pandemic. But we got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, Led Zeppelin came out. Rick and Morty may have come out just when the pandemic started. I hadn't played it, though. Hot Wheels. Oh, yeah. Hot Wheels. Um, of course, now that things have opened up, you know, Mandalorian came out. So I, I had a blast. I know. I'm, oh, uh, Avengers. I hadn't played and Guns N' Roses. So I, I not only played the heck out of those and subsequently on location just to try to figure them out, but I acquired uh, several of those titles from my home collection because they are fantastically done. So Guns N' Roses, L.E. and avengers finity quest both have found their way into my collection nice it's been great it's like awesome when a new game comes out right but it's spectacularly awesome when you go on location and there's like a half dozen new games that you haven't played or barely played um since their release so it's been a great couple months to try to catch up and i think that chris is going to be another interesting part of the tournament scene is how many people have had opportunity to not just play a couple games but really learn some of the the newer games that have come out and are likely to appear in some of these tournaments come august 1st oh yeah and uh, the crazy thing about it is just take a look at the pin clash tournament that carl d'angelo hosted uh, that was held on avengers infinity quest there were so many people putting in submissions of them doing the final battle wizard mode, trying to get the minimal amount of flips as possible to complete it. And there were tons of submissions, tons of people trying it, and all of them were recorded. That's the best part right. about it. You can literally watch a lot of these submissions and learn how to play the machines, which I think is genius. 
And then Carl also hosted a live stream tournament for the finals on Avengers Infinity Quest, where he basically hosted all of the streamers that had submitted their games and basically qualified go head to head in a bracket to determine the champion. And it was neat for me because I know I haven't had the opportunity to play the game yet, but that was my chance to like kind of sit and watch and learn. Yeah, it was a really cool experience. It's a super deep rule set, one that even though the game resides in my basement, I still have not completely figured out yet. In fact, it's far and away the most frustrating game for me in that the brain is not clicking with all of the deeper rules. But the way Carl ran those finals, having literally dozens of objectives that would come up in sort of a random number generator, if you will, that people had to complete the objective on or some time-based thing or a score-based thing, allowed someone watching the stream to learn the game by through all these objectives that Carl created. And I thought that was probably the most awesome part of, of the finals, um, in my opinion, was the uniqueness and variety level of it. Definitely unique and definitely something that even with location pinball kind of being resurrected, so to speak, I feel like Pin Clash can still thrive as a successful tournament. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the next one is on. And hey, who knows, Bookie, maybe we'll be able to throw some submissions in. What do you think? Yeah, I hope so, too. It's kind of ironic. The last two, one could argue, made me acquire those games. So. Watching all that Jurassic Park, I was able to pick up You Went With Me, driving down to all the way to Richmond, Virginia, mid-pandemic to acquire my Jurassic Park premium from, let's give a shout out to Laura and Clark Fraley, and that was an awesome road trip, and then I subsequently picked up The Avengers, like I said, after watching that, because they're both awesome games. I mean, Carl picked two Elwin home run hitters here to do the Pin Clash tournaments with. Oh, definitely, and it's always an exciting thing to be able to watch it, too couple other exciting things that I've noticed, at least with the ups and downs of pinball, have been the prices. Now, personally, I'm not really much to talk about the prices of pinball machines, mainly because I'm not really in the market. I've got a couple beat up EMs and I've got one Metallica in my basement that I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with because I stream them. <laughs> Those are the <laughs> only things I have to stream right now. And it's like, I don't really look into things that I'm going to want to purchase because I know that, number one, I don't have space for them. And number two, I just can't afford it. I really don't want to put money aside towards a machine knowing that, like, if something were to happen with my car, I might have to, like, take a loan out or struggle to pay for something. So I kind of tend to avoid the market. Now, Bookie, I was hoping that you would be able to provide some insight because it seems to me like the prices are inflating rather rapidly. Yeah. So if you want to make a good investment in something, pinball has been a phenomenal investment for a number of years now. I mean, you tell me any other hobby besides maybe cars, I mean, like sports cars, muscle cars, old awesome stuff would, would tend to appreciate in value. But there's very few hobbies where you can buy something at X dollars, play the living heck out of it, gets its wear and tear from a new in the box game. And then you go to sell it and you make money. And in some cases you make significant amounts of money. And, and so being somebody who's, you know, heavily involved in a, in a home collection, but I also do a lot of uh, 
on location and in-home repairs for machines. So I'm always getting offered to, to buy games outright and sell them. I, I'm not like a flipper or anything, but there's enough movement in my collection that I'm very well in tune with, with the market. And of course, uh, with our location at the Pittsburgh Pinball Dojo here in, in Pittsburgh. I think I consider myself fairly well in tune. And so the pinball market's been appreciating consistently for years with its kind of bottom point in in the mid 2000s, right around the time like Lord of the Rings and Simpsons pinball party came out. I think that began the resurrection of this hobby for sure as an anchor point. And it's been a slow but steady climb for the last 15 years or so. But then suddenly during the pandemic, the prices just went bonkers and it first it was like counterintuitive because it seemed everybody is getting laid off nobody has any money they're gonna all be selling off their games locations are closing down there's gonna be this glut of machines and the prices will tank and the exact opposite happened yep and locations were shutting down their machines entered the market but prices suddenly started shooting up and when you try to rationalize that, it kind of begins to make sense, right? So you've got a ton of people now at home 24-7. They can't go anywhere. They're on lockdown, unemployed, and they're looking for stuff to do. So that was kind of like checkmark one of, I need something to do. And that kind of started off with like the rental pinball market, which I myself entered. I'm like, I've got a ton of games at home. I've got a lot of friends in Pittsburgh who play on location with me all the time, but they don't own any games and they're looking for something to do. So a couple people had some ideas online of like starting like a side rental business where you'd mask up and everything and kind of deliver a game safely and set it up in the home and, and then leave probably not even seeing the person who was renting it because everybody's trying to stay socially distanced. So that was kind of like phase one of this sudden rebound. And then the stimulus checks started rolling out. And of course, those checks went to everybody, including the folks who already had plenty of money. And so now they had tons of money and didn't know what to do with it. And so pinball sort of exploded in the home market, very much akin to the way that collectible cards skyrocketed over the last year for the same reason. People just looking for things to spend their money on that historically have appreciated right they wanted a safe investment especially early when the stock market took a tank where can i put this excess money i have that i think i'm going to get something out of it enjoyment wise and so collectible cards magic the gathering pokemon all that stuff exploded in price doubled tripled even more in value in some cases and pinball did the same and it didn't even matter the age of the game 1960s electromechanicals went up Solid states in the 80s went up. The more recent stuff went up. It it just got crazy to basically someone would list a game in, on Pinside or a Facebook group or whatever for a price you would have just dropped a laugh emoji at. Just absurd. And an hour later, it's sale pending. And, and, and so the next person goes to sell the same title and they're like, well, if person X sold that for four grand, I'm going to add another couple hundred bucks. And you're like, where's the limit? Well, there wasn't. It just kind of went out of bounds. And it finally maybe has started to level off. But um, it just got crazy. Uh, the, uh, the home market was grossly underestimated as to where all these games were going. And, and Stern and Jersey Jack and Spooky and the other manufacturers, I think, realized 
yeah, we're going to keep rolling out new games, even though they're not really going to the bars and arcades and other location pinball places. We actually have a viable home market. And absolutely. Uh, and that continues to this day. And as we headed late last year and the first big loss for us, right, locally was was Replay FX and, and Papa's collection. You're like, oh, prices have to come down because 400 pinball machines are about to enter the market. No, not at all. Uh, it just continued to accelerate upwards. And, and now we've got, uh, unfortunately, the news that hit the wire yesterday with the uh, Pinball Museum out in Banning, California, uh, ceasing operations. There's, what, a thousand something, 1100 games, I guess they have. I, I Yeah, north of a thousand from uh, whenever I last looked at the numbers. It's sad because that was not to go on a tangent, but one of those places now that I finally have a, a job and a, the ability to travel in my life once things kind of opened up. That was like number one or two on my list of places I wanted to go that I won't get to, at least in that capacity. Let me just say that I did end up going to Indisc a couple, a number of years ago, and and it was held at the that museum in Banning. Now, it was unfortunate that whenever I went, they didn't have all the machines turned on. Like you couldn't walk up and down the aisles and play a game. But I did take a couple laps just to look at them. Right. You know, like just to be in awe at the number of these machines that are just side by side and just out there to be like, hey, look, this is a pinball machine I could play if I came back and I paid money and I was able to play these games. It's crazy. I mean, I can rationalize like the first time I walked into Papa and I was like, holy crap, I can't believe this exists 15 minutes from my house. I am the luckiest person on earth. And to know that Banning's collection like dwarfs what what that was, so there is about to be, when they begin their auction liquidation, I guess is what I read, this glut of over a thousand machines into the market again. Is that going to finally either stabilize or, or drop prices? I'm hesitant to say yes to that. I still think we somehow, during this pandemic, old blood and new blood have introduced enough home collectors across this country that there's still a greater demand for machines than there is supply. So we'll see what happens. It's it's getting unaffordable. <laughs> and I've got, as you know, I've got a, a pretty darn nice collection that's taken many years of buying, selling, fixing, trading, working my way up towards, but it, it's gotten to a point that the, the new game prices and the used game prices are, are simply out of bounds. And it's like, well, my own games have appreciated, right? So I can always kind of consider that an equal trade, but it's, got to be getting to the point where this is unfortunately turning into a rich man's dream and i don't know where it's going to go from here i'm curious what our listeners think too yeah for real and uh, as usual you can reach out to us at playbetterpinball at gmail.com if you want to join in the conversation and hey who knows maybe we can bring this back up during our next podcast and we can read some emails i think that'd be pretty cool but uh, but my opinion on that subject as well as like I said, I, I don't really dabble too much in pinball prices, but I do own pinball machines and I do sell them from time to time. And basically, I just sold my dad's uh, some of my dad's machines. He's got an eight ball deluxe. He needs nothing else. So he wanted to sell his Gottlieb Monte Carlo. OK. And his firepower. OK. So I sold the Monte Carlo for nine hundred dollars. And then I also sold his firepower for $1,200. And at first I was like, 
what should I price these as? And so what I did is I looked at the market and I saw those that have sold in the last 30 days. And I basically wanted to sell them local. So I reached out on the local Facebook page for the Pittsburgh Pin Bowling and said, hey, I'm going to be having these for sale. And whenever I put them up for sale, I lowered the price from the typical prices that I've seen. And I lowered them even more because I just wanted them to sell. And when I initially gave them the discount initially, I was like, well, I want them to stay local. So I wanted someone to be able to come out and buy them immediately so they can take them home, set them up and enjoy them. And and at first I was like, $1,200 for a firepower? Like, is that a good deal? What, what do you think, Bookie? Is it, is, did I do well with $1,200 for a decent working firepower? I would say so. I bought one three, three or four years ago that's still here local, and I paid 600 for it. And uh, it needed some board work done, but the play field was an outstanding condition. I fixed it up, and I think I sold it to a local friend just a couple months later for like 750 or 800 bucks. So I, I really didn't make money when you consider the time and parts that went into it. So if, if you consider that, then basically you priced it at roughly like a 50% increase, right? From 800 to 1200. Yeah. And let me guess what happened. It sold in like five seconds it or sold something. Immediately. I had yeah. four people send me a message. One person was like, hey, I'll buy it right now. Like, I'll come pick it up. I had another person said, hey, can I come and look at it? Can you send me pictures? And basically what I did is I went from top to bottom. Whoever whoever messaged me first, I said, you can come look at it. You can come play it if you want. Like, just let me know. I can get things set up and I can clean the area around it. It's, all, it's on the first floor. You can wheel it out the back. Right. It's an easy setup to take it out. And I basically wanted to keep it fair because I, I, I wasn't really dealing with strangers. Like I said, I originally posted this to one place, and that was the Pittsburgh Pinball League Facebook page, just because I wanted to keep it local. And the people that did reach out were all local. I, I'm with you on that. Not to like offend anybody else across the country, but there's something about selling your game and then getting to still play it that's like awesome about Pittsburgh. And I just love to keep my games local because I sell them typically not because like I want to. It's just a you've got a limited space and you want to mix up your collection. So there, there's always like for me anyways, like a hesitancy to sell it. I don't sell it because I don't like the game or I'm bored with it or it's broken or, or anything like that. It's just that's the one I'm playing the least for whatever reason and time to mix it up. So I like keeping them local. I'm like you. I'll give like a, a discount to entice keeping it local versus what I would post it for on, on pin site or Facebook. And that's kind of an awesome feeling to get to play your game after it's gone. It's kind of like the gift that keeps on giving, but uh, <laughs> 1200, I, I, if you had asked me my opinion before you listed it, I believe it or not, I said that may have been a left some money on the table, but you're not hurting yourself. You made a handsome profit or your dad did. I'm pretty sure that we left money on the table, but that wasn't the point of the sale. I, I really wanted someone to get it that, uh, you know, could love it, knew how to work on it if anything went wrong with it and just basically could enjoy it outright. And, and just like you said, if they want to invite me over to play, that's pretty cool, too. <laughs> yeah. So what was the story with the uh, the Monte Carlo? Maybe a, uh, how do I put it, slightly less loved game than Firepower. Oh, yeah. The The funny thing about, about Monte Carlo is the person that bought it just happens to love that Gottlieb era of games. Mm -hmm. and And like their favorite pinball machine ever is is lady luck or is diamond lady i forget maybe it's diamond lady 
Oh man. Didn't our friend DJ had one of those? Yes. And and they love, you know, TX Sector and Heck Laser yeah. Wars and like just all those Robo Wars, whatever that what Gottlieb game is. And, and right. They, and they just love that style. So as Genesis. soon as I listed it, yeah, as soon as I listed it, he was like, oh, dude, I want that. And I was like, I'm so happy that you're so into it. Came over, picked it up, carried it out of the house and told me about all the other stuff they have in their collection. And I was like, I was excited. Like, I felt like it went to a great home. And uh, and so that's that kind of makes me feel better as a seller, which I very rarely am. But as a seller, knowing that they're really going to love it and they really want it, they're not going to be like, hey, I bought this super cheap. So now I can put light bulbs in it and then sell it for twice the price. You know, right. I want them to enjoy it. And I felt that whenever the guy came over with his wife to pick it up. So so that's always a nice bonus thing. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it really is a small hobby when when it boils down to it. Yeah, you may get some random person buying your game as their first machine, and, and maybe even more so the point I'm about to make, that you really do not want to burn bridges in this hobby. So like when I sell a game, it's 100% working. I know out the door they're going to play test it. It's perfectly working. The lights all work. The game functions correctly. We've agreed on a price. Both sides are happy. You want that person to be someone who's going to come back to you, potentially, whether it be weeks down the road once they've caught the bug (laughs) or months or years and be like, hey, remember that time I bought that game? We really enjoyed it. It's time for another one. What do you have? Oh, yeah. Because you have one deal go south with somebody and it's kind of it for you, right? Word gets around. Oh, certainly. The few games you have reluctantly sold and and your dad has i i know are in amazing condition they function correctly they've gone to good people and you're kind of just keeping the dream alive so it's definitely a part of what we got to do in this little hobby of ours you know whether you're a a streamer a seller a collector or just a plain hobbyist going out and playing in tournaments even it's it's kind of a part of something that we all want to be as big as possible so generally just being nice being a decent human being a decent person and you'll be likable you'll, you'll make friends you'll you'll make awesome memories and that's kind of what i've really started trying to do and it's uh, it's definitely making me feel better about the pinball as a hobby and especially with being more into the social media aspect of it now with our podcast and especially with our twitch channel like streaming pinball to me is great and while we don't have our outlet with papa tv live anymore this has definitely helped me fill that void Yeah, I, you know, there's been some logistical and other reasons why you and I haven't, you know, streamed since our our roadshow night uh, down at uh, Kickback when we raised money for for that location, which was awesome. And uh, we're working on getting that spun up, you and I. But uh, it's it's been a pleasure to, to watch you over the last few months, you know, with your limited selection, make every last flip count, basically, with those streams. And the chat room has just been so invigorating. I mean, you and I chat regularly with people literally all over the world. I mean, that are up at honestly crazy hours in their own time zones just to to catch your stream. So there's something to be said about that. I mean, we've got friends in New Zealand and Australia and other countries halfway across the world that regularly tune into the streams at just crazy hours. So can't speak enough about what that's done for the hobby to to reach out yeah definitely and uh and hopefully we can you know reach even more people with the uh the podcast that we're doing just trying to keep it fun and interesting and 
And I really like the ideas that we have when we're trying to spotlight some tournaments, kind of get some some more of an interest in the tournament style of pinball play to kind of play alongside with the fun streams that we do, that we have done, and that we're ultimately going to do in the future. So I think uh, with that, you want to wrap us up? Yeah, it's been uh, boy a long time coming to do this, man. So <laughs> we'll keep it rolling and great chatting with you tonight. I think we touched upon a number of really interesting topics that we did intentionally leave open-ended so we can continue this conversation forward. And like Chris said, shoot us an email or Facebook post or, or whatever to, to get in touch with us or even chatting during one of the, the Twitch streams would be great uh, at Play Better Pinball. So on behalf of Chris Stevens, I'm Evan Bookbinder coming to you from just outside Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, hopefully we'll see you guys all soon on that tournament stream. August 1st coming around in a week and a half. All righty. Don't forget, everyone. Play better. Play better. Play better.